Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to have you here today. Uh, We are in our current series on uh, the final week of Jesus, this last week. Uh, and obviously it was Palm Sunday we did a Palm Sunday message four weeks ago when we began the series and so today we're going to um, we're going to look at the Last Supper we're going to take lessons from the Last Supper and if you want to we're going to be in Luke 22 so you could turn there right now we'll get there in a few minutes Uh, we'll start reading from there and we'll take our our points and our text from there this morning but I want to begin this this message since we're looking at the Last Supper and uh, things that happen there's so much that happens there but I want you to think about this, and maybe you never thought about this before from the Last Supper. You know, how many know that Jesus uh, will tell uh, Judas, he says, he hands him the morsel, and etc., and he says, what you do, do quickly. How many know that line right there? You've heard that? Raise your hand. How many know that line? The rest of you do not know that line. Okay, that means you're newer to the scriptures possibly. So Jesus will hand the morsel, say, what you do, do quickly, meaning Judas, just go do what you're going to do because you're going to do it. You're going to go betray me. And so Judas takes off. Now, think about this. He leaves the Last Supper. Judas leaves the Last Supper. He's going to come back with the priest and with some of the soldiers to come and arrest Jesus. Question, where does Jesus get arrested at? What location? Garden of Gethsemane. But wait a minute, Judas left the Last Supper, he leaves there, and when he comes back, how does he know that Jesus is going to be in the Garden of Gethsemane when he just left him at the Last Supper? You ever think about that one right there? How come he comes back over here? Why doesn't he come back here? Well, let me fill in the gaps on this to try to give you an idea of what's going on. Because if you go back in the narrative of the Gospels, you find that when Jesus is getting a... He's going he's to have the Passover slash Last Supper prepared. He elects, he sends two of his disciples. He sends Peter and he sends John. He doesn't send anybody else. He just sends those two. He doesn't tell them where they're going to prepare the Passover at all. He says, just look for this guy carrying this pitcher of water. That's the guy that's going to lead you to the room. He'll let you know where it's at. So they don't even know where this room is. So they get out there and they find this guy. They see him there because it's very unusual for a man to carry water in that day in the picture. And so they they talk to him and he sends them, he takes them to this place where they're going to prepare the Passover. Jesus knows where the room is, but now only Peter and John know where the room is. Judas does not know where the room is. He has no idea. So when Judas gets there to celebrate the Last Supper Passover with the gang, this is the first time he knows the location of where this is. And so when Jesus tells Judas, he says, what you do, do quickly, and Judas leaves, and he's going to go get priests, and he's going to go get soldiers to come and arrest Jesus, he thinks that Jesus and the gang are where? In the room of the Last Supper. You follow me so far? So now it makes logical sense that you can assume now that when he comes back, where does Judas come back to to arrest Jesus? Where do you think he first comes back to? comes back to the last supper that room right there when he gets there they're not there now if you're judas you've been walking with jesus for three years you know his tendencies when he's in jerusalem where he stays you now will deduce that jesus now because it's late 
Jesus must now be where? In the Garden of Gethsemane. So that's how you kind of put the logic together. And so he goes out. Oh, this is popping again. It popped all first service. Let me see if I can fix this thing here. So gee, he goes out and, uh, and he comes back and he comes to that last supper room and he's not there. So he heads up to the Garden of Gethsemane to arrest Jesus. Now, from there, you, you, you have to kind of ask yourself the question, why? Why does Jesus... Um, why does Jesus not tell Judas why all this time Jesus knows he's going to get crucified he knows he's going to get arrested that night why not just get on with it why does he give himself time I think Jesus wanted more time and I think he wanted more time that night because if you read especially if you read John 13, 14, 15, 16 and chapter 17 you find that Jesus in that last supper and when he leaves there on the walk down the Kidron Valley up to the east side of Jerusalem up the Mount of Olives to the Garden of Gethsemane Jesus will give some of his greatest last teaching he will give some of his great I am statements there finishing them off he will say the one where I am the vine and that's amazing because before that whole series different day he says I am the door but now he says I am the vine but as he's walking that night with them he says, I am the vine. And you got to know it's full moon out around that time of year, Passover. And if you look at the temple, which is huge, and he's walking up the, the Mount of Olives there, you see the doors of the temple on each side. They have these giant vines with massive clusters of golden grapes, and the clusters are as tall as a man. And so as he says these things, and he's teaching all these things, they can see that visual right there. Oh, he's the vine, he's the door. He's the doorway into the temple of God. He's the doorway to God. And he's given all these things. He prays for them in John 17. It's one of the great prayers that he gives. And you hear him out loud, and John writes it down. And so you see what Jesus is praying for us, and he's giving all these great last bit teachings to these followers that are going to go out and they're going to change the world. And so Jesus needs that time to do all that. Now think about this. Question, is it crunch time now for Jesus? You better believe it. He knows I'm going to get arrested tonight. They're going to take me to a cross. I'm going to die. Now, I want you to understand something in case you're newer to the faith or you've just started really being interested in reading your Bible as a Christian. Paul would later on write, New Testament writer, that Jesus is the last Adam. The first Adam is Adam in the Garden of Eden and he failed and he sinned and we've all followed suit in separation from God. That's why Jesus had to come. But Jesus now is called the last Adam. There is no other hope there is no other way it's just him if he fails guess what guys none of us go to heaven none of us pass go and so there is um, there's no other way he's the last hope and so for Jesus the pressure is on like never before question what's the unusual phenomena that happens in the garden of Gethsemane as Jesus is praying does anyone remember he sweats. What does he sweat? He sweats what looks like drops of blood. Now, that's called hematodrosa, where you're under intense pressure, so much pressure that the capillaries under your skin begin to pop. 
and the blood mixes with sweat. I mean, how many of you have ever given natural childbirth? Raise your hand. Oh, gosh, God bless you, ladies. I remember when my wife gave birth to our oldest, Vanessa. She pushed so hard. I remember it. And I told her, I said, I feel everything you're feeling. <laughs> Terrible joke, huh? She pushed so hard that the capillaries under her skin and her face popped. And she'd have these dark things there where the blood popped under her skin under tremendous pressure. Can you imagine Jesus is going to go to a cross? He's going to die. And the pressure he's feeling. So these things are popping under his skin, these capillaries. Now, I want to give you a quick thought on this. He's the only one. The buck stops with him, right? Last Adam. Every leader in this room knows what that feels like, knows that pressure, correct? How many of you have a business? You know that pressure, right? It all stops with you. You carry the pressure of the business. How many of you are a parent? Raise your hand, parents. You know the pressure of parenting, correct? You cannot do this as a parent. Anybody back here take over here for me? For right? There's nobody. It stops with you. Everything stops with you. Something breaks, you got to deal with it, right? Somebody needs something, you got to come up with the money to it, right? Everything stops with you. You know the pressure because the buck stops you. Now imagine the enormity of the pressure that Jesus feels. Every person's salvation is depending on him. He's the last hope. There is no other person. He is the God-man. So Jesus now, he comes to that moment in this time where they're going to arrest him. We're going to take a look today at this last supper, not the actual of the bread and the juice, the grape. We're not going to do it. We're going to do other stuff in there because there's so much that goes on in there. I'm going to give you three points. And like I normally do in this series, I'm going to give you the literal what. And then I'm going to take the literal what and I'm going to take it, turn it into the application for our lives today. Amen? Because every time the Bible should be taught, is taught, you should give the literal, but then give the application for our lives today. Because the Bible is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and it should really pierce us deep in our hearts and apply to our lives. Amen to that one? Okay, three things today if you're taking notes. Number one, the first thing we're going to find in this Last Supper lesson is Jesus redefines true greatness. He redefines it. Now, I'm going to read from chapter 22 of Luke, verses 19 to 27. And if you're with me, it'll be on the screen. If you have your Bible, you have your Bible on your phone, however it works, as long as you're reading that Bible. Verse 19 says, And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you, do this in remembrance of me. Friday night in our Good Friday service, 7 o'clock here, we will celebrate communion. Don't miss it. In the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of the one betraying me, say betraying, betraying me is with mine on the table. For indeed, the Son of Man is going as it has been determined, but woe 
to that man by whom he is betrayed. They began to discuss among themselves which one of them it might be who is going to do this thing. Now watch the 180 turn. And there arose also a dispute among them as to which one of them was regarded to be the greatest. Anybody find that weird right there? First they're saying, which one of us is going to betray him? Hey, by the way, which one of us is the greatest one? It's like, it's just strange. Verse 25, And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who have authority over them are called benefactors. But it is not this way with you. But the one who is the greatest among you must become like the youngest and the leader like the servant. Verse 27, For who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as one who what? Serve. He just redefined it. Now let's get the literal. They're sitting at the table. They're celebrating this communion, what we know is communion, for the first time ever. He just institutes it. And he says, do this to remember me. During that time, he looks at all of them. Imagine you're sitting there. And by the way, they would not be sitting. They'd be laying down on their left side on a pillow, and they reach with the right hand, and that's how they eat their food. And there'd be, it'd be like a U-shaped table, and the servers would come and put the food there. So they're laying there, and Jesus says, let's pretend we're all there. He says, one of you is going to be the one who betrays me. Now, think of what you would start thinking in your mind. Is it me? Is it me? Is it, is it you? You know, I would probably go, it's probably you. But anyway, that's another But then they flip the script. And now they start saying, which one of us is the greatest? Now, it doesn't it make, it make sense in this crazy mind right here that if we're going with one of us is guilty, somebody had to flip the script and say, well, I know it's not me. But you know what? I bet it's you. And therefore, it's you. I'm too good. Therefore, I'm great. Therefore, I'm the greatest. And then they start squabbling about the greatest. Does that make any sense, anybody? Kind of makes sense in my mind that way, that they're arguing this whole thing right there. And that's how it flips back. And by the way, this is not the first time that they are discussing among themselves which one of them is the best of all the disciples. Back in Luke 9, verse 46, they're dialoguing it back there. Now, here's where we want to see what Jesus is saying. He says, look, the greatest one, and he uses the illustration of sitting at a table, because that's what they're, sitting at a table and being served versus serving. He says, the greatest one are not the people that get served all the time. He says, the greatest people in the kingdom of God are the ones who are serving others. They are the greatest of all the people. And so now you find that he reverses. And by the way, does Jesus put his money where his mouth is? Yes. He washed the disciples' feet. He proves it. He doesn't just say it. He does it. And he says, the greatest among you is the one who serves other people. Now, let me, let me you guys know I'm a movie guy, right? Say yes or no. I, I don't know if you, okay, good. Okay. Braveheart, anybody? Okay, I love Braveheart, but there's that one, because that reminds me of my life. But anyway, that's another story. I'm just joking. But, 
There's that one scene where he's fighting back. He's now has some victories and he's gathered an army, William Wallace has, and all the leaders of the clans are in that one building and he's in there with a few of his leaders, William Wallace, and then they ask the question, which clan do you back? In other words, who's going to be the rightful heir to the throne once Scotland is free again? And they start fighting amongst themselves as to which one of them gets to have the king, which one's the rightful heirs, and this and that. And William Wallace starts to walk out. Anybody remember that scene? He starts walking out. And then one of the guys, he says, Sir William, where are you going? And here's what he says. And I love what he says. I had to write it down because it's too good. He says, there's a difference between us. You think the people of this land exist to provide you with position. I think your position exists to provide the people with freedom. And I go to make sure they have it. What did he just say? He said, you and I, we're from two different worlds. You're sitting there wanting position and you fight for the scraps from Longshank's table, if you remember the movie. He says, I don't look at it that way. He says, I'm going to go and I'm going to fight. I exist for the people. I exist to serve the people, to bring them freedom. That's what a true uh, servant is. And that's how every leader in any position should be uh, operating. Any amens? I guarantee if you're married and you're in problems right now, you want to fix it? Die to yourself and serve your spouse. Just start doing that. Well, Jim, I'll do it when they start. Shut up. When they start? Did Jesus say, well, when you guys start getting holy down there, I'll come and die on a cross. He didn't do that, huh? He loved us at our worst. And he starts to serve us. He starts doing the right thing right there. Look, look, look. Here's an application before I move to point two. If you choose, and if I choose a life of serving, I, 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 I guarantee it that you will walk around less likely to be offended by others. You will walk around less likely to, be, uh, to get your feelings hurt by what others didn't do for you. You will walk around less likely to be disappointed about how so-and-so or they did, they, everybody let you down again. You know why that will end? Because it's not about you anymore. Are you following me? Sabe? Comprende? Yeah? It's not about you anymore. It's about other people. Any amens of that? Yeah, listen, listen, listen. When it's all about us, then we can now gauge whether we're mature or we're infantile. Am I right? I got grandkids. You guys know that, right? Okay, so, so I've got these two. Lincoln's two and a half, and Nolan's like a year and three months, and, and um, they're my son Nathan's kids. And so I'm watching them. Every Lincoln, you know, her toys. Nolan, who's a year and three months, he can walk now, so he, he's moving. And every time Lincoln has a toy, guess what Nolan wants? He wants that toy, and he'll go get it. Do you think Link, does, do you think she wants Nolan to have that toy? Oh, no, so when he gets it, she kicks him. <laughs> or she sits on him. If we weren't watching, my granddaughter would be a serial killer, I guarantee you. It's like, this girl's dangerous, you know. But it's like, she wants what he has. Now, is it hers? Yes, but it's all about her. She wants it for herself. It's not about sharing or serving. Question, how old is she again? Two and a half. When it's all about you, how old are you again? 
Oh, you answer that. I'll just say that's emotional immaturity. Jesus said to serve others. And by the way, they're going to take advantage of you at times. But that doesn't stop you from serving. You just do the right Jesus thing. Amen to that one? Okay, let's get to point two because I got to move on. The enemy seeks to cause our faith to falter. Has anyone ever experienced that? Yeah, he's, he goes after our faith to falter. Look at 28 to 33. Watch what he tells Peter. He's, he calls him Simon. But watch this. You are, you are those who have stood by me in my trials. And just as my father has granted me a kingdom, I grant you that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Now watch, 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 watch. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. Aren't you glad that Satan has to ask permission to do anything? Any amens? He doesn't have unlimited access to do whatever to us he wants to do. Read Job. You'll see it there too. Verse 32. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Now, <clears throat> here's what's going on. We know that, um, that Satan has already infiltrated the mindset of Judas. We know that, right? Back in 22. Same chapter, verse 3. We know he's got into his head. But now we see where Satan wants to get into Peter's head. He wants to mess with his mind. Has Satan ever messed with your head? Yes or no? I got to hear that one. Okay, good. Okay. And he says, here's what he's specifically saying. He goes, well, here's what I'm going to do, Peter. I'm letting you know. Here's the way Satan operates. He wants to sift you. Now, sift is a sieve. And you guys have ever strained stuff in a strainer? You're going to separate good from bad, right? Well, What's going on here is Satan will send us, put trials on us, try to do things to us. He'll try to get in our head to separate the good from the bad. But he wants to separate the good from it. He wants to shake our faith up. You follow me so far? Follow me so far? But Jesus says, when that's happening, I'm going to be praying for you. And I'm going to pray for you that your faith does not fail in those moments right there. And when Jesus says you in verse 32, it's plural, which means he's talking to all of them and he's talking to all of us. He says, I'm praying for you that your faith does not fail. Now, I want you to think about Peter now because it's easy to criticize him from looking back at it, but think, put it yourself in Peter's place. He's going to tell Jesus in a moment, I'll never fail you, fail you, I'll never deny you. And then what's he going to do? He denies it. And then they arrest Jesus. And of course, Peter chops off the guys there, making it worse. And then Peter follows at a distance. And then he gets there, and the little servant girl goes, weren't you with Jesus? And then he says, I don't know the guy. And of course, the cock crows, and the whole shot, he denies him like Jesus said he would. And then it says that Jesus looks out, they catch eyes, Peter feels terrible, he denied Jesus, he said, I'll never deny him. And he runs out, he weeps bitterly, only to find out that the next day he hears, they crucified our Lord, he's dead. How would you feel what would be playing in your mind at that time if all that happened to you based on some bad decisions you made? Would your faith be shaken? I think so. I think mine would be completely shaken. Now, <clears throat> let, me, let, me talk to, let me talk to a few of you here maybe, and then the next thing, I'm going to talk to maybe one or two of you at home because I just got to say these things, okay? Let me throw some application. 
What did Jesus say he was going to specifically pray for in Peter? Did he say, I'm going to pray that you don't start cussing during that time? Did he say that? Say no. Okay, because I already read it to you. Okay. Did he say, I'm going to pray that you don't lose your testimony? Did he pray that, say that one? No, he said, I'm going to pray for your what? For your faith. For your faith. Listen, guys. Listen, guys. When your faith is shaky, listen, one or two of you. When your faith is shaky, you haven't lost your faith. You're losing hope. Anybody? And let me tell you why you don't lose your faith. Because, put it up on the screen, watch what Jesus is always doing. Read it with me. One, two, three. Therefore, he, Jesus, is able also to save forever those who what? Draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. What is Jesus always doing for you and me? He's always praying. And we find in Luke 22 that he's always praying. For, one of the things he prays for is our faith. Isn't that great? Now let me zero in further. For one person maybe in the room, or one person at home. Because every person's important to God. You matter to God. You're in or you went through a difficult time. And your faith got really shaken. And maybe it was one of those things where you asked Jesus, you needed something, he didn't come through when you needed it. And I don't have the answer to why that is. Nobody does. And you say, forget it. There's no God. Maybe you even said that. There's no Jesus. And you're like Peter where Jesus is dead. And you're just shaken. Let me just probe into your mind just for a second. <clears throat> I don't think you quit believing in Jesus. I don't think you even quit believing in God. You know why I know that? Because who do you still have mental and verbal conversations with? With God, huh? You still might say things like, why didn't you do this? If you don't believe in him, who are you talking to? You follow me? Do you follow the logic? You haven't stopped believing. You just lost hope. You still have faith. You just got disappointed. And by the way, for somebody, the one person here that might say, he doesn't exist because of that. Wait a minute. If you had kids and say they're eight years old and they wanted something and you said, no, you can't have that. And your eight-year-old says, I don't believe you exist anymore, dad. Does that mean you quit existing? Even your child knows that you still exist, right? Same thing with you. God doesn't, I don't exist because they don't think I exist. No, no, he still exists and you still believe. You just lost some hope there, and that's all you lost. Now, when you turn it, and you can turn it, come back. Jesus makes a statement. He says in verse 32, when you turn, strengthen your brothers. How many of you have ever walked away, got upset, lost your faith, got shaken, but you came back to God, came back to church, and you started to really serve and help other people and give them a wisdom in their hard times? Anybody? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. I want to know. Raise your hand. Come on, be honest. So you've come back and you're strengthening people. Amen? That's what it says to do. That's what it says to do. Good for you. Now, number three in your notes, and that's this. Now, any of us can stumble. Would you agree? Anybody can stumble. Now, watch verse 33 and 34. 
But he said to him, Lord, with you I am ready to go both to prison and to death. That's pretty bold, huh? How many know it's easy to make promises to God in church? And he said, verse 34, I say to you, here's what Jesus tells him, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you have denied three times that you know me. Whoa. He says, I'll never stumble. I'll never fall away. Jesus says, uh, eh, wrong. You're going to stumble and you're going to deny me. You're going to fall. Now, the question is this. What can I learn from Peter's life that would keep me from stumbling? Because he's going to stumble. What mistakes does he make? Wouldn't you like to know? To keep ourselves from stumbling? Well, let's, let's open up the door on that one. Let's, let's look at it. So, look at Proverbs 16, 18. Put it up on the screen. Let's read it together. One, two, three. Pride goes before destruction. And a haughty spirit before stumbling. Both pride, the word pride and haughty, have the idea of exalting yourself, being lofty. So Peter, when he says, uh-uh, I will never stumble, I will never turn my back on you. Is he prideful? Yeah. And what happens to the prideful, arrogant person? They're vulnerable to falling. Correct? So now we find there's a problem. When you and I think, can't happen to me, I'll never stumble, my faith can't be shaken, now I've set myself up for a potential fall. Does that make sense? Okay, that's the first thing. Now, let's think about this, think about this. Okay, I'm gonna try to piece this together best I can because I, I, it was tough for me to try to piece it together. But, okay, now he has pride, right? Yes or no? Yes. Okay, good. Let me fill in the story. That night... Jesus tells them, we, don't, we didn't read it, it's going to get tougher for them because they're going to take him, and, and, and he says, there's going to be some fighting to do. But he's talking spiritual, not physical. Peter, he grabs two swords. Just a few verses later, he says, here, I got two swords here. And Jesus says, it is enough. Jesus is not saying that is enough to go fight the Romans because that's impossible, correct? Commentators say that Jesus is saying, that's enough, Peter, stop it. We're not going to do this. That's not how we do things. But Peter's not listening. Because when Judas gets there and they arrest Jesus, what does Peter do with one of the swords? Slices off the guy's ear. What does Jesus do with the ear? He puts it back on. Wouldn't you love to see that? If Jesus didn't put the ear back on and heal him, who else would have been on the cross that next day? Peter. But he heals a man. Therefore, there's no attempted murder on the scene there. But here we have Peter. He's operating in the physical, in the flesh. And you can't blame him. He's not born again yet like you and I are. So now we find him prideful. I'll never stumble. And now we find him operating in the flesh. Are you following me? Are you following me? Therefore, when you operate in the flesh, is your thinking right or wrong? Right or wrong? It's wrong. Because you can't fight flesh, you can't fight um, spirit with flesh. Jesus said your enemy is who? Satan, right? Satan is spirit, right? Peter takes a physical sword. Can you go up to Satan and go, I'm going to slice you up, buddy? Can you do that? You can't do that. Because Satan is spirit and he's using a physical sword. It's impossible. You cannot do that. So now we find two big problems with Peter. First, he's prideful. And now he's using the wrong weaponry, right? And that's how he's stumbling. 
Now, let me read these two verses about the proper weaponry as we try to drive this home. We're going to read, you're going to read them with me. Here we go. One, two, three. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So now we know that one of our spiritual weapons is a sword, which is what? The word of God is a sword. Now watch what that sword can do. Hebrews 4.12, read it with me. One, two, three. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. So now once again, the word of God is a sword and it's double-edged. Now watch what it can do. And piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Now, this word of God is a sword. It's the spiritual sword. When you quote it, when you say it, when you speak it to your situation, when you share with people, it's a sword. It can cut and divide the difference between soul and spirit. Does Satan try to get into our head and shake our faith? Yes. Uh, good, okay. The word of God, though, comes along, and it can tell me what is of my soul, which is my old nature, and what is of the spirit of God, the word of God. You follow me? Yes or no? So now as I study the Word of God, read the Word of God, and taught the Word of God, I can now understand when Satan is dropping thoughts in my mind which are the old nature or when it's lining up with the Spirit of God and the Word of God. You follow me? Now you have the right weaponry. So now let me, let me try to put this together because it was almost impossible for me to try to do this first service. Let me give it a shot. Give it a shot. Is Satan after our thinking? after your thinking right now. Did you know that? Somebody in this room is going, oh, I don't buy all this. Guess who's talking to you? You may think, oh, I came up with that. Really? He goes after our thinking. He goes after our thinking and he tries to build fortresses and strongholds in our mind. Lies that we'll believe. You follow me? But when we become a Christian, we have the sword of the Spirit, right? That's the weapon to fight the lies and by the way when you became a Christian now you switch teams and you're on the team of the one who's already won the title follow me Jesus already defeated Satan so you don't fight for victory you fight from victory you follow me now you need to understand something how many have ever watched um, a pro football game you ever watch one okay you ever watch the 300-pound lineman try to get in the face of the referee? And the referee weighs about 120 pounds. Now, that big offensive or defensive lineman, he's trying to tell, what does the referee do? He stands right there, doesn't he? Why isn't he afraid of that big lineman who could squash him? Why isn't he? Because he's got the authority of the league, right? And that guy better not do anything because he's got the authority of the league and you're going to be kicked out, find an enormous amount of money if you touch this little referee. He can't do it because of the authority that this guy walks in, this referee. Guess what? When you became a Christian, Jesus said, all authority has been given unto me. You therefore go. You got my authority in the name of Jesus. Did you just hear what I said? So Satan, who's the big 300-pound lineman, he can't, he can't, he, he, you can sit there, he can, and you can just get in his face and, go, and just tell, he's not, he can't do anything, right? Was that a good impersonation right there? So now we find that uh, Satan goes after our thinking, but we have the word of God, and I have the authority of Jesus Christ 
But I got to fight him, unlike Peter, with spiritual weapons. I can't fight spirit with physical. You know, I needed four tires on my truck, so I went to the florist and bought four bouquets of flowers. How many of you know that's the stupidest thing you could do? Because you're shopping in the wrong place, right? Christians, some of us are shopping in the wrong places. We go, we go through, we go in it, and we're not looking to this. We're shopping everywhere else. You can't fight spirit with physical. Okay, let me, let me, let me just finish it up. Can't fight spirit with physical. You gotta fight spirit with spirit. You gotta fight the way God says to fight. Peter failed because he, he went physical when it's spiritual. So, this is the last thought. Old Testament. Joshua, he's going to go take Jericho. Remember the story? And Joshua's a warrior, right? He's been fighting for 40 years. You know, these guys know how to fight. He's like a five-tool soldier. These guys are killers. And so he asks, yes, God, God, how do you want me to attack Jericho? God says, I got a great plan. Why don't you get some trumpets? And I want you guys to march around the building. March around that building every day. One time. Don't say anything. Just walk around. On the seventh day, march around seven times. And then all together, blow the trumpets. And the wall's going to come down. Okay. Joshua goes back to the troops. Can you imagine? What did God say? How are we going to take the city? Well, here's how we're going to do it, guys. We're going to get some trumpets. I don't even play the trumpet, Joshua. It's okay, go get a trumpet. We're going to march around the city. Every day, one time, we're just going to not say a word, we're going to march around the city. And on the seventh day, we're going to march around seven times. And then, when I tell you all, we're all going to blow the trumpets. And the walls are going to come down. And they all look at him like, okay. It doesn't make sense. It makes zero sense that that's how you would take that stronghold. And there are strongholds in our mind, lies that we believe, where Satan is shaking us up, where we have keep believing, and we keep acting the wrong way and blowing everything up in our lives. And God says, take the way, take this way. It doesn't make sense, but this is the truth. You'll march around. You don't even have to fight. I'll fight for you. Just use the spiritual weapons and walk in the authority of God and watch what happens. And watch what happens. Peter failed because he walked in the natural. Can't blame him. He wasn't a spiritual man yet. But you and I as believers, if you're a believer, we walk in the spiritual authority of God's word. And that's the power. And that's the power. Sometimes you think, this is the power. It's the power. It's the power. It's like when Moses stood at the Red Sea. Stand back and see the salvation of our God. Watch what God does. He will honor that word. You just got to believe that word and walk in that word. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, some of us are losing because we don't walk in humility we're always waiting for the other person to go first. They got to prove it. They got to go first. No, sorry. That's not what Jesus did. And we're losing because we are not operating in the sword of the Spirit and living a 
according to that. Doesn't matter what we feel, doesn't matter what we think, just do this and watch what God does. And the strongholds of our old thinking will be broken down and we'll walk in new life. If you are here today and you have never placed your faith in Jesus, then you're here for a reason. It's not an accident, it's a divine appointment. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus and you'd like to, or you backslid, you walked away, you got shook, faith got shook, but you know you got to come back and strengthen, strengthen people. Be the dynamic person again. I'm going to give you an opportunity to, put you, to place your faith in Jesus for the first time or rededicate your life, meaning you're going to become a follower of Christ. And he's going to be the boss and you're going to surrender like many of us in this room have surrendered to him because he loves us and he would never ask us to do anything that would hurt us. And he's got a greater life than you can imagine for you. So if you'd like to place your faith in Christ or rededicate your life, I want you to do this one thing as a sign between you, me, and God. With every eye closed, I want you to open up your eyes right now. Look up at me. I'm going to look around the room. When our eyes meet, you can close them, but do it right now. Now, I want you to, I'm going to say this prayer, I should say. And those who looked up at me, I want you to repeat it out loud after me. Everyone here who's a Christian, you say it with them so they're not alone. But as you repeat this prayer, as you say it, you put your faith in Jesus. The only God, there is no other. He's the God-man, the creator who died on the cross to set you free, to, to, to forgive us of our sins. That's how much he loves you. He died in your place. He took your punishment and mine. That's how much he loves you. Repeat this prayer, believe in him. Here we go. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me so much that you would die for me on the cross forgive me of my sins and I know I'm forgiven I invite you into my heart to be my Lord my Savior and God today I choose to follow you for the rest of my life now let me pray God I pray I pray for everyone who looked up today. Friend, greatest decision you have ever made in your life. There is no greater. But now you must follow up. Just like Jesus said to be a servant, and then he followed up and he washed feet and he served us on that cross. It's not about just words. It's about walking it, living it. And you can now because the Spirit of God dwells in you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for this day. In Jesus' name we pray. We all said amen and amen. Stand up with me, everybody. God bless you if you looked up for salvation, rededicated. Follow Jesus. You'll never regret it. You will never regret it. Now, if you need prayer for anything to my left, your right, they're there to pray for you. If you have a physical offering, meaning you don't give online, but you give physically, we have the boxes at those doors. Um, remember, this week, Bible study, Tuesday night, Daniel, or in chapter 4, we're looking at the golden statue. It's a great chapter. Friday night, 7 o'clock, right here. Good Friday service. Saturday, 10 to 12, out there for all the kids, all kinds of stuff for the kids. Bring them. 
And then Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, 8, 30, 10, and 11, 30. Hey, and bring that unsaved person. God bless you guys. We'll see you when we see you. Have a great, great day. God bless. Oh, whoa, whoa, repeat after me. Thank you. I knew that. Nobody has to tell me. With gusto, here we go. Lord, keep me outward focused. And fill me with your spirit. Give me the boldness to share the gospel with others. Open up opportunities to share outside the church because I see what I'm looking for and make me into a generous person like you. Now you can go. Okay. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media on Facebook and Instagram at NBCCNorco or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.